Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Team Preview Edition. Continuing to run through all the squads in the AFC East and joining me to accomplish this incredibly important task here on May 13th. None other than PFF's finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, yesterday we talked Bills and Patriots. Today we're talking Dolphins, Jets. It's a great day to be great. Yeah, dude, it's an absolutely great day to be great. Like, I, I think we could probably argue, and this is just like kind of off the top of my head right here at the top of the show, but I don't know that two teams put more effort, you know, into their offense, you know, over the offseason. Now we'll talk about what that means, you know, and how that's all going to divvy up. But I mean, looking at the, you know, what the Dolphins did, you know, with Tyree Kill, with Teron Armstead, you know, they went out, added a fullback, added a good play caller. Then you look at the Jets, you know, getting Garrett Wilson in the first round, you know, they added two tight ends. They added an offensive guard, you know, from the 49ers that they stole. I mean, there's, these teams put a lot in their offense and they both run a similar scheme. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. A lot to get to as we have been doing on these team preview editions, going to start things off looking through some of the more notable offseason moves, coaching changes, roster changes, and draft picks before going quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end in depth. So thanks as always for tuning in. Let's get after it, everybody. First of all, the coaching changes. This is pretty severe in Miami. We do have new head coach Mike McDaniel, formerly as the OC of the San Francisco 49ers. Now, Kyle Shanahan did call the plays in San Francisco. McDaniel has said, though, that he will be taking over that responsibility in Miami. He's got offensive coordinator Frank Smith there, who's mostly worked as an offensive line and tight ends coach over the years. So, Dwayne, the first question we need to answer for this Dolphins offense is how different are they going to be from what we saw in San Francisco? Because the 2021 49ers, man, 55% pass play rate, in non-garbage time situations that was the third lowest mark in the league and i mean this was a 29th ranked offense in situation neutral pace now maybe mcdaniel just has this pass first high-paced offense he's been dying to run over the years and he's going to ignore everything he just did with kyle shanahan but man Dwayne, like the reason why debo samuel and george kittle were so damn great was usually because of how damn great they were as talents they weren't necessarily getting the derrick henry you know 30 plus carries per game the sort of workload where you don't even need to be that good in order to put up fantasy points how close do you think the 2022 Dolphins will resemble the 2020 49ers in terms of being this run for slow paced offense? Yeah, I think that they will try to make them similar, you know, um, you know, how similar they get to be. I mean, I think will depend on the game scripts and things like that. You know, I mean, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook has Miami. This was actually before the special schedule came out. This was from May 11th. It probably hasn't changed. Um, had them in nine wins. You know, the Dolphins won nine games in 2021, and they won 10 games in 2020. So, I mean, looking at a team that's probably going to be close to 500 or slightly above it. Um, so I think the the more they win, the more I think we'll see them actually try to push towards being more of maybe not run heavy just because of the talent they have um, at receiver, but more of a run balance team. But we say that, but I mean, look at how much, you know, the 49ers ran the ball despite having George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel right now. Those guys haven't always been all three healthy together over the last couple of seasons. But I mean, when you look at the 49ers, um, you look at their past run splits over the last three years, 54 to 46, uh, 59 percent to 41 percent 52 percent to 48 percent and that 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 last one that i gave you right they had one more games I mean, if you look at last year whenever they actually played a little better they got to the second round of the playoffs 54 46 so i would think like if things go the way the dolphins want we're probably looking at like a 55 45 40 56 44 somewhere you know in that range would be what i would guess for their past run splits 
And yeah, all those weapons and a $138 million quarterback. I mean, we don't really put Jimmy G in the same category as I think some of these, you know, franchise quarterbacks that are leading their offense up and down the field, throwing the ball time and time again, because he hasn't put up those same sort of counting numbers. Uh, But I think he was kind of planned to be that guy when they gave him all that money in the first place. You know, they run the ball so efficiently in San Francisco. I'm not trying to say like Shanahan's misguided by doing that or anything. My God, I'm who the hell am I to critique what he's doing uh, uh, and from a play calling perspective. But yeah, Dwayne, you know, as we're going to get to when you want to project two wide receivers as legit top 12, top 15 fantasy assets might be hard to do so if we're looking at legitimately one of the top five, top 10 most run heavy offenses in the league. Plenty of transactions to get through. I've you know went through some of these other teams. I only hey, have real quick yeah. on on the coaching front. Sorry, a couple of cool things that I pulled in today, and so I'll have this for both the teams if you if you like it. But like so, from a scheme standpoint, like I do think there are going to be some real positives for what the Dolphins are going to get to see. I, I think especially for Tua. So like if you look at the 49ers over the last couple of years, and specifically last year, if you look at their play action, 27.9 percent, which is above the league average. Look at their use of shift and motion, 80.4 percent of their plays they use shift or motion that's number one in the league so we are always talking about hey how can you as the offensive coordinator do as much as you can before the snap and right after the snap to give your quarterback an advantage and i think that's what you're going to get with you know mcdaniel versus what we had seen before in the past and really to be fair to Tua, like he's had two different offensive coordinators in his first two years. Of course, this will be his third. But then if you look at the screen game, the 49ers also use that well above the league average, 12.3%. That ranked 10th. And then if you look at the trick look plays, which is basically just giving the defense something to think about right at the snap. Like, oh, my God, what is this? What is this adjustment we need to make? 16.1% of their plays had a trick look, which was first in the NFL. So lots of shift in motion, a lot of trick look, a lot of play action, things that are really designed to help make life easier for for the quarterback and to get your playmakers in space, which we'll talk about those guys here in a sec. Again, want to quickly go over each and every key quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end move throughout this long offseason. Tough to remember all these, you know, as we go through all 32 teams. So at quarterback, 2021 backup Jacoby Brissett now resides in Cleveland. Teddy Bridgewater has come on a one-year deal worth up to $10 million, $6.5 million in guarantee. He did make some headlines. I mean, before the whole Ryan Tannehill, uh, you know, issue going around about him saying he's not going to mentor Malik Willis, Teddy Bridgewater just said that he was provided with a unique opportunity was the quote and refused to kind of say whether he was going to be the clear backup or not. So general sentiment from the Dolphins beat writers afterwards has been that, no, he is the clear backup, and I think the money reflects that. So Teddy, I really do think, is there more as a backup than anything. And again, I think the money reflects that. Seemingly, the lead RB is going to be Chase Edmonds, signed a two-year, $12.1 million deal to become that new starter. But we also have some other comp- another newfound competition. Raheem Mostert followed McDaniel from San Francisco, just a one-year, $3.1 million deal, but again, has that familiarity. Also got Sony Michelle there on a one-year undisclosed contract. Hey, credit to Sony, took over that Rams backfield from Daryl Henderson as 2021 went on. Three, four, I should say, running backs out of the picture. Again, they completely revamped a lot of these position rooms. Philip Lindsay, Malcolm Brown, Duke Johnson, Patrick Laird, all gone, you know, for the time being. Patrick Laird is a restricted free agent. Brown and Lindsay do remain unrestricted free agents. Duke Johnson's with the Bills. At wide receiver, obviously one of the biggest moves of the entire offseason was the Dolphins exchanging five draft picks to go get Tyreek Hill to work as the offense's number one pass game option. But they weren't done. They signed Cedric Wilson to a pretty steep three-year, $22 million deal. And now when you kind of look at that slot Position. You got Tyreek, Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Mike Jasicki, a lot of mouths to feed, and a lot of them like to play that same spot. 
basically cleared out the rest of the complimentary guys. Will Fuller, still an unrestricted free agent. Albert Wilson, unrestricted free agent. Isaiah Ford, unrestricted free agent. And Mike McDaniel brought in some other 49ers. Trent Sherfield, River Craycraft to just help fill out the wide receiver depth chart. And finally, Mac Hollins is out of the picture. Accordingly, after sending all those draft picks to uh, the Kansas City Chiefs um, in order to get Tyreek Hill, didn't have much draft capital left to spend. They did get fourth-round wide receiver Eric Izukanma and seventh round quarterback Skylar Thompson. Dwayne, you were actually someone that pointed out about Skylar Thompson. I forget which one of our um, fantasy colleagues who we respect was really high on him, but out of all these, you know, out of the two draft picks, it's a seventh round quarterback. We're not expecting much from Skylar this year, probably ever, to be honest with you. But out of all the seventh round quarterbacks, we have a few more interesting to say about him than normal. Yeah, for Thompson, it was Matt Waldman. You know, um, if yeah, you haven't checked out, you know, the rookie scouting portfolio, it's available. Like, go get it. Like, it's 20 bucks, people. Like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just Matt has a great process behind it. Like, he doesn't get every single pick right, just like nobody does. But, man, like, you get all the pros and cons of the players, and you know he's he's got a good structure behind it. But anyway, on Skylar Thompson, he actually had him ranked. Like, he, he said, look, the guy's probably not going to get drafted high. He said, but all I can do is follow my process. And in the process, like Skylar Thompson actually graded out as his top quarterback, you know, just purely on the things that he's looking at. So anytime Matt says something like that, I definitely take notice. I took notice multiple years ago when no one was listening, um, you know, around a guy named Russell Wilson. I say no one was listening. Other people were listening, but I was happy to be one of the people that was also listening with Russell Wilson. Um, and that helped me out a lot um, because he called that one well ahead of time. So just a guy to keep, you just mentioned, a guy to keep a name on. We're about to talk about Tua. There's a lot of questions with him. We kind of all know what Teddy Bridgewater is. You're right. It's just a seventh round quarterback. But anytime Matt has somebody ranked that high and I see him land in a situation where I'm like, you know, there could be a path like the potential snaps here. Like I'm, I'm paying attention. Final thing I forgot to mention was that Devontae Parker was traded to the New England Patriots shortly after the draft. That's the one I keep forgetting, Dwayne. It's going to be the death of me at some point is because I don't remember this Devontae Parker trade for like a 30-second period. I'm not exactly sure, you know. Hey, when you the caught game. Sony Michelle. You caught the Sony Michelle edition. So, <laughs> you look, the Dolphins have been a little busy. Did, did you did you mention, though, there was a very key one. I don't think you mentioned it, but fullback, Alec Ingold. <laughs> And it's, That's right. It, it is a huge deal for this team because the 49ers ran more 21 personnel, which is a halfback and a fullback typically, than any other team in the league. And I mean, it really wasn't close. So I think the intentions. Yes, I'm not. Alexa thinks I'm talking to her. <laughs> yeah. So um, looking at Ingold, like it is a big addition because I think it's just I think this is going to be a team that's going to be very multiple. Um, they've got a lot of different tight ends that they can use. They now have a fullback. We've got three different running backs. We've got enough receivers, as you mentioned, that they can run 11 personnel. I think you're going to see an offense that's going to basically look across the field at the defense that they're playing. And they're going to say, OK, this is how we think we win this week out of the gate. And then they're going to adjust based on whether or not they're trailing, leading, you know, whatever's happening in the game script. I did mention Alec Ingold at the end of my receiver uh, section that you can find in team preview on PFF.com. But correct, Dwayne, that is a big and it wasn't a modest deal either, man. Two years, six point five million dollars for Alec Ingold. And that takes us back to the damn slot receiver problem, because what did we see in San Francisco with their number three receiver, Dewan Jennings? Like we just dismissed him every single week, not because he's necessarily bad, but in a run first offense where your fullback is taking the spot of that number three wide receiver for even 20, 30 percent of a game snaps going to be awfully tough to rack up any sort of high 34.6 percent of the time the 49ers ran 21 personnel last year 
And I think, by, that is way by far the, the most in the league. <laughs> I don't know if we can expect Engel to do everything that Juice Check was no. able to do, but that's fine. Cut 15% off of that, and it's still an issue for us to be worrying about. It's the same reason why for the Raiders that we have to worry about that with Josh McDaniel having the position, same reason why for the Patriots. We can be a little bit feeling, be feeling a little bit better about guys like Jacoby Myers with them no longer having the fullback. So great note there, Dwayne. Let's now talk about the quarterback, the man who has been on everyone's mind this week because of one bad underthrow in training camp to a Tagovailoa, my fantasy QB 20 at the moment. Like, here's the thing with Tua. As someone that has watched every single game that he has played in the NFL, Tua will have these stretches where he'll you look at his stats after the game and he finishes like 26 for 32. You know, not an overwhelming number of yards or passing touchdowns, but the guy has, got, has had a really high completion rate. Like, he goes through the game does what he's asked to do. But my God, Dwayne, he would put one or two plays on film that were just horrific, and that would be the only thing Twitter would end up caring about. I mean, look, no one was really, except me, I guess, was trying to watch a bunch of these Dolphins games last year. I don't blame you guys. Like, they were not pretty. When you look at that pretty fraudulent, I think, win streak they had during the second half of the year, you kind of see the sort of competition they were able to beat up on throughout that stretch. So Tua was good. I'm just left really underwhelmed at the ceiling, Dwayne. You know, I've been trying to go through with these teams and just tr- just show that these quarterbacks, even as bad as you might think they are, how even guys like Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, who's not bad, but I think people think of him more as a game manager. I've been able to find 90 to, you know, 100 seconds of them putting just ridiculously great throws on tape. Former first-round quarterbacks, they're starting like, we should expect them to be able to have 90 seconds of great throws. For the life of me, Dwayne, I could not get 90 seconds of great throws from Tua last year. I thought I would be mocked on Twitter for putting out a highlight film that wasn't even worthy of being a highlight film. And I'm not saying you need to have this, you know, insane big-time throw rate to be a good fantasy quarterback, but what are we exactly chasing with Tua here, man? I just don't know if we've seen enough to expect this massive leap forward. He's never been, particularly in fantasy land, that's obviously what we're here to talk about because he's never been a good fantasy quarterback. He doesn't have the profile as one. He's never rushed for 50 yards in a game, even going back to his days at Alabama. He's a pass-first quarterback, and what's probably going to be a low-volume passing attack, unless he's going to all of a sudden leap from a pretty mediocre quarterback in efficiency to one of the best in the league, man, I don't see, I guess, the pathway for Tua being anything close to a QB1 in 2021. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the big-time throws. Tua ranked 28 out of 32 last year, 30 out of 32 in 2020. So, you know, two years in a row. Uh, And he kind of just does what's expected of him, but not really a lot more, which is to your point. What I would say is, like, look, he does have Jalen Waddell. He does have Tyreek Hill. Um, they have some other ancillary pieces that are pretty nice. He has a, a, potentially a huge upgrade in his offensive coordinator. So we do see um, these Shanahan-style quarterbacks every once in a while will, like, just pop. Like, we saw it with Matt Ryan that one year out of nowhere. Where all of a sudden, it was like – now, to be, to be fair, Matt Ryan had already done much more in his career at that point than what we've seen yeah. from Tua. So it's not necessarily an apples-to-apples comparison. But I think you can at least give, like – Tua, you're probably going to put him ahead of Mac Jones because at least you know he's got the weapons, right? Mm-hmm. And if everything is clicking, and when you look at Tua, like, man, like, he's a first-read quarterback. Like, he's well above, you know, the NFL average whenever you look at how often he's targeting his first read. And if you look at what the 49ers do um, and what Mike McDaniel will be trying to do is really design those first reads to get it to an open Tyreek Hill, to get it to an open Jalen Waddle in space, letting them run after the catch. So I think this is the best chance he has, right, to be like what he was at Alabama. 
where he played in the loaded offense, just basically drop back, didn't have to make a ton of reads. Typically, he had someone open like right away um, because there were mismatches like all over the field. So I think there's still a chance um, that he could put up a nice season, but it would come through efficiency. It would, to your point, it's not going to be all of a sudden they're just throwing the ball all over the place. If they're winning, I expect them to be running plenty, right? So it's I don't see it as being a scenario where all of a sudden Miami takes this big step forward and they're winning all these games. They're like, we're going to throw the ball 70% of the time. So so even if if everything clicks for Miami, I think it's got to come through for Tua through efficiency in the passing game. And it could happen with those playmakers. So I think the way I look at it is, you know, the guy we've talked about yesterday, Mac Jones, I would put Tua ahead of him. You know, we'll talk about Zach Wilson later. I kind of have those guys – they're pretty close together, but I might lean to Zach Wilson just because I feel like we've only seen one year, right? With Tua, we've already seen a couple of seasons, even though they haven't been full seasons. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you. I do think this is the best potential fit for Tua, getting him in a scheme that can really just let him not have to be over the top winning everything, but just yeah. let the scheme do its thing. Kind of let him be the bus driver. He could get lucky and have a high efficiency year. When we're talking about these guys, like they're not even really late round quarterbacks. For most one quarterback your usual redraft league like you're not even getting to this kind of tier of guys you're getting your one quarterback you usually don't even need a second guy at that point you can just stream someone later you don't have to worry about it more so for best ball purposes i think after we get you know done with fields and Tannehill, that's where we have this tier of your zach wilson's your tua's your mac jones trevor lawrence's of the world i am with you though with having zach wilson ahead of tua because I was looking at this, and you know, we'll talk about Zach Wilson in the next podcast, but there has been a chunk of quarterbacks to not give you anything as a rookie but have a nice little second-year leap. We saw Blake Bortles do that. Um, yeah, laugh all you want, people. He was a good fantasy quarterback for one year. Um, we all saw Carson Wentz get that. Uh, Derek Carr had a nice little second-year leap. We've seen that. There were more, though, that didn't, and Tua did fit that category. So just two top 10 fancy finishes over these past two years. I know he was coming off the hip issue in week one. Ultimately, Dwayne, I like to go to our stable metrics as like a tiebreaker because, look, these are metrics that PFF has done good research on in the past showing that year over year we can expect these to kind of show better indicate future quarterback plays more so than stuff like, you know, deep passing ability or pressure, more volatile statistics. And passing grade from a clean pocket, Tua, 15th among 38 quarterbacks. Standard dropback, 17th. First or second down, 17th. No play action, 33rd. Passes out or beyond the sticks, 22nd. Those aren't bad. I can show you Baker Mayfield's numbers before last year, and they were much better than what Tua has been able to do, man. So, like, it's the same thing with Baker. Like, he doesn't have the prototype of what we're looking for in a fantasy quarterback. So, literally, really, with the volume concerns, with the play style concerns, the only way for Tua to hit is to be just this incredibly efficient quarterback. And I'm not so sure it's going to be there. He's going to need to get the first reads, Dwayne, because last year, without the first reads, this is one of the worst quarterbacks in football. If you take away RPOs, screens, and play action attempts last year, Tua was one of only six quarterbacks to average six or fewer yards per attempt. Now, another one of those quarterbacks was Jacoby Brissett. Wasn't exactly in the best situation with the Dolphins. PFF ranked them as the single worst offensive line at the end of last year. It didn't do that good of a job fixing it, Dwayne. Like, look, shout out ex-Saints left tackle Toronto Armstead. Like, that's a great signing. Go get him. He'll fortify that spot. Only other meaningful addition was ex-Cowboys offensive line Connor Williams. Like, I don't see adding Armstead and Williams to this group taking them from, like, 32nd to a top 10 unit. So if we still have a below-average offensive line, we still have a run-first offense – 
I'm just not so sure purely adding Tyreek Hill is going to bring out this, you know, Alex Smith MVP level version. Like we're not even barking about Tua's arm strength here. That whole thing is just a, a stupid May storyline from people that are too proud to just sit down and watch USFL like a real diehard football fan. But yeah, Dwayne, I mean, ultimately Tua over the last two years, he's 31st among quarterbacks in fantasy points per game. Unless you're finding yourself, I think, with like Tyreek and Waddle early in drafts and you want to stack Tua with them at the end, I'm not going to be having much exposure to Tua in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's really just a best ball stack play, Yeah, you know, to be honest, you know, um, and, and, and again, you're not like trying to get there. It's at the end, you look up and you're like, oh, OK, I've got, you know, X player from the Dolphins like that makes two of one of my options here, you know, um, because you'll probably have two or three quarterbacks that fit that bill. And and you can look, there is a chance like he comes through and he has that kind of high efficiency season, but like he doesn't have a lot of outs, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, he's got this one feels like anyway, pretty narrow path to this really outcome that we would be excited about. And really like all the other paths are like, eh, like even if he improves, right. It's just kind of a mass scenario. And, and, and again, like, great weapons and i think you know he can probably do enough to support these two receivers being decent um but is it enough to carry him along probably not more likely to be their team's 2023 week one starter Tua or jalen hurts it's a good question it's a good question i I mean i man that's a really good question like i I don't think either one of them will be starting (laughs) but i think i would have to i would i would have to give it to jalen though i would have to I think Jalen is, you know, for all his struggles, like I think he's still he adds something at least on the ground. And this isn't just fantasy, but for his team, there's some things you can do with him schematically that I feel like he at least gives his team some sort of advantage the defense has to plan for. Right now with Tua, I, I mean our defensive coordinators, what are they concerned about? I don't think anything. Twenty twenty one Eagles were, you know. 12th ranked scoring offense. I know it wasn't a traditional throw the ball all over the yard that we're used to seeing, but Jalen Hurts with his legs was able to help engineer that sort of offense. And I think with what we've seen from, you know, rookie year, Lamar Jackson, some of these quarterbacks that maybe aren't ready to fully take on the passing game, like you do have still an average to above average offensive floor. If you kind of have the right player, Dolphins last year, just 22nd, man, like this, This feels to me a little bit like when the Jets made that late season run in like 2019 and people started to get a little bit excited. And then all of a sudden you look at the win streak and it's like, oh, yeah, last year the Dolphins were one and seven. And then they beat the Texans, the Ravens, when I believe Lamar Jackson was out, the Jets, the Panthers, the Giants, the Jets again, the Saints, when I think Trevor Simeon was starting. And then they, you know, get absolutely blown out by the Titans in like their first somewhat tough game in two months. So. Dolphins team, not really expecting all that much. And, yeah, certainly wouldn't be shocked if this is the last year we see Tua as their QB1. Not like, you know, credit to Tua for having all – you know, we saw how Baker um, acted when there were a couple trade rumors went out. Like, Tua's been dealing with this for years. This is the first, you know, I think the best coaching staff, best offensive situation he's going to be in. So, I hope he surprises us. The league is more fun when there are great quarterbacks all over the place. We'll see if Tua can get there. Now for the running back room. Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sonny Michelle, Miles Gaskin, even Salvin Ahmed is still hanging out there. As I mentioned before, fullback Alec Engel will be factoring in the things. Shouldn't be getting many rush attempts or targets, though. So 
purely looking at the money involved does seem like Chase Edmonds should be the guy. 2022 cap hit's going to be five and a half million. Gaskin's only at 2.5. Most are at 1.9. Ahmed under a million. Sonny Michelle is unknown. So Edmonds, again, should be the guy. We did get a quote this week, you know, from one of the coaches saying that they're going to make it a competitive environment and, you know, let the best player win out. Yeah, like, is that not just the definition of off-season coach speak that we talk about not putting too much stock stock in? Like, talk about just, like, saying absolutely nothing and then having the whole fantasy industry trying to take something away from it. So, I don't want to completely rule out Miles Gaskin. Dude's gained 2,000 yards, 13 touchdowns over the past three seasons, but with a completely different coaching staff, and I think, you know, we would have seen them maybe pay less attention to the position if they were really fine with Gaskin being that guy. Here's the question, Dwayne, because we expect Chase Edmonds to be the lead back, probably not set up to get more than, I don't know, 50 or so percent of the rush attempts. So we need him to hopefully live on the sort of target share that we saw he can make good use out of in Arizona. I'm not so sure there's going to be a bunch of target share for him, though. Last year, the Dolphins were 22nd in targets to running backs. The 49ers were dead last. I mean, these were two of the bottom 11 offenses in terms of pass game opportunities for the running back. We got Tyreek, Waddle. Um, Mike Tosicki, Cedric Wilson, all these guys are making a lot more money than Chase Edmonds. I love how cheap he is. The only cheaper starting running back in fantasy football is whoever the hell you think is going to start for the Houston Texans. Chase Edmonds, though, does he really have like even an upside RB2 ceiling? Or is he maybe someone that, yeah, he's available cheap, but maybe we're just looking at one piece of a committee that ultimately doesn't have that big of a production pie in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to have a committee. Um, the Sony Michelle signing, like, it's not like I think Michelle's going to get all these carries, but I mean, we're going to see three backs involved, yeah. you know, um, and, and Miles Gaskin, who knows if he makes the cut, you know, down, but even if he stays on the roster and he's not active most game days, as soon as one of these other backs is hurt, like he will be active, you know? And so that's going to be the challenge that we're going to deal with. Um, so, I mean, I project Edmonds right now. I only have him at 40% of the rushing attempts, but because I have it as a run balance attack, that's right around 190 attempts. Um, I do have his yards per carry slightly above league average, which is 4.3 over the last three years. I have it at four and a half just because he has been an explosive playmaker was one of the most explosive players available as far as 10 plus yard uh, uh, rushing attempts over the last couple of years. And I think that's why, you know, you saw McDaniel go after him. Not that, not to say he's going to be Elijah Mitchell, but he has, you know, the ability. And I think actually I, I saw a cool thing on next gen. Like, I don't think any other player like got to 15 plus miles an hour more often than Chase Edmonds like last year. So, so he is an explosive player and he also checks the box of being a back that can catch passes. How many passes will he catch? I don't know, but where he's going in drafts, the way I'm looking at him now, he's not projecting like great. Like he's projecting, not bad, though. I mean, right around, you know, just under 200 PPR points, you know, but like how confident am I in that? Like they could get these other guys a little more involved than what I'm thinking. But I was already kind of conservative. Like I didn't even give him half right of the rushing attempts, gave him the 40 percent, gave him most 25 percent, gave Michelle 15 percent. And I only have Chase Edmonds at 10 percent of the targets um, because I saw the same thing that you did. Number one, I think it's Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle by far away, 1A and 1B. And then I think everyone else is basically fighting for scraps. Agreed. And Agreed. so I think that's Kaseki, Cedric Wilson, Chase Edmonds. You can kind of just jumble them all in the same bucket. I think they're all going to be somewhere between 10 and 15 percent, you know, of the target, something like that. So Edmonds, I think there's some upside that he could get a little bit more involved. Um, I think it will just come down to how do these things work out in training camp? You know, what do they end up, you know, what's the game plan? I think there'll be some weeks where Chase Edmonds could be more involved. 
right, in the passing game than other weeks where we see them using some of these different personnel looks and he won't be as involved. So I think it'll, it might not be as consistent as what we want. But, but given the boxes that he checks and the offense like that he plays in, I'm still, I think, where he's going right now as far as ADP. Um, and even since the – the Sony thing hasn't really pushed him down much, like just a little bit, but he's going off the board right now as RB34. So low end RB3, I still think that that's a good price, and I'll have at least even exposure, if not a little higher than the field, will be my goal. He's going in like round 9, 10 in a lot of these underdog drafts right now, which is absolutely fantastic area to get him. I think the only thing that would kind of prevent me from getting him is if I'm just drafting and I kind of take like three early running backs and then I'm kind of just not really in too much of a need. But I think some of the best work you've done this, it's all good, Dwayne, but some of your best work this offseason, I think, was just showing how in rounds 7 through 10, um, regardless of what you did in rounds 1 through 6, there's enough value there to help get your lineup in a great situation going now into the double-digit round where you're not going to have any like glaring roster holes like my god I, why did I not take my second running back until you know round 12 like I am now screwed even though you might have actually had an awesome first six rounds so I think if you do go zero RB modified zero RB whatever the hell you want to call it and you need your second running back later guys like Chase Evans and Miles Sanders are kind of that last tier of running backs I think you can feel reasonably well about them as your RB2 preferably RB3 if you want to really go heavy at wide receiver are you fine going with Edmonds, Dwayne, over other more run-first running backs and committees, guys like Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, and I say Devin Singletary? Like, they have kind of their own problems, but they don't really have the same pass game ceiling because out of those guys, I am going to be ranking Edmonds ahead of them. Yeah, and I mean, most of the guys you just named are going ahead of Edmonds. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of Edmonds, Why I'm pro- where my overexposure to him is going to come from. is not like this absolutely being in love with him. It's being in love with where he's going. Yeah. And then in his profile, I do really like. And then looking at the players that are going ahead of him, which allows me to just take different positions, you know, and then I can circle back and get my RB3. Or if I am doing RB2, maybe I take Kareem Hunt and him back to back. Right. And I'm hoping one of those two guys, you know, each week is basically filling in my RB2 spot and they both have contingent value. Should someone else in their backfield go down, they play in the passing game and they both create explosive rushing plays of 10 plus yards or more. So, um, yeah, I I'm on board with Edmonds. I like him, to your point, better than a lot of the guys you just named. And the best part about it, again, you say this all the time, like don't hate the players, you know, hate the ADP. Or and not, not we don't always just love every player either. Sometimes we just love their ADP. And with Edmonds, it's kind of a blend of the two, but the big thing for me is ADP. Price is right, baby. Do we care about Mostert or Gaskin all, at all? Like, I just think – and even Sony, you can throw him in there. I just don't know. Like, they both seem multiple injuries yeah. away from having a viable fantasy role. Well, and that's the biggest thing that just happened to Edmonds. When Michelle signed, um, it really meant that his path also to potentially even just for a few weeks, you know, having that full every down role is that that other additional little bit of contingent upside is gone now. Right. Yeah. Because one of these two guys is going to step in. So I think it, it kind of dampens Edmonds a little bit as far as helping each other or hurting each other. I don't know. I wasn't as high on Raheem Mostert as like a lot of the fantasy community was already like getting whipped into a frenzy about like there were so many people saying he was like going to be the starter. And I was just like, you guys are like losing your mind. You know? <laughs> um, and we like Mostert, dude. You were you were battling for Mostert last year, like a very yeah. explosive player. But I mean, he's going in his age 30 and a half seasons, his eighth year in the league. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at his explosive play rate, like very solid. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not hating on Raheem Mostert. Like if you look at what he's done, you know, 
from that perspective, it's been really nice. His explosive uh, rush plays 11% and 17% in his two uh, most recent years. Missed tackles force. He's had a 12% or a 21% or a 26% or the league average is 17%. So, like, he's done, like, some really nice things. So, it's no hate against Mostert. I just don't think they're going to want to load him up. You know, he's going to give you some 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 occasional gains. But now that you have Sony Michelle there, it's like, OK, great. If Edmonds does go down like week one, what do we really expect week two? I wouldn't even know which one of these guys to tell you, Ian, to start. And <laughs> if Gaskins is still around, he probably then takes over the passing down role. <laughs> that yeah. that part of the passing down role that Edmonds leaves behind. So I think it just makes it difficult. Um, I'm not against taking any of these players, but wh- where they are in ADP right now, like, in my action column, like action to be taken, like uh, at Edmonds, I have even or over like market. And then on Sony Michelle and Mostert, I have under. When you get to these final rounds of the best ball drafts, I see so many running backs like Mostert and Gaskin. I just don't really have that best case scenario upside, even on the table for them. I do see Deontay Foreman, the new Panthers, potential handcuff for McCaffrey and Hassan Haskins, the, the seemingly probable number two for uh, Derrick Henry in Tennessee. Those are like the last two guys that are there, like literally in round 17 and 18 that I will throw an occasional dart at. But yeah, just try to, you know, if you, if you're, in, if you're trying to think about the best case scenario and it involves like an entire, you know, like plane taking out the freaking running back room or something like that, you might be better off, you know, looking somewhere else with that draft pick. But regardless of who you want to pick, just realize the best place to play fantasy football this summer is underdog fantasy. Their best ball mini term has 10 million in total prize money. Even after I capture first, there's still be plenty of money for all of you to get as well. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team and that's it. There's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season and the highest scores at the end of the year win the champion of best ball mania last year drafting in june so there's no time like the present to join underdog and take your shot at a million dollar draft plus underdog is going to double your first deposit up to 100 when you sign up with the promo code pff also if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code pff you get a free pff subscription so what are you waiting for head to over to underdogfantasy.com or the app store play 10 dollars with code pff and draft your best ball mania team today also want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors over at Sunday. Does your lawn have weeds, bear patches, or pet spots? Sunday can help you solve all these problems and more. The easy way, they've got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control, and it's all delivered right to your door, offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just 129 You can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash forecast. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash forecast. Dwayne, we're done here. I, I get the mulch, man. Getting out oh, there, dude. getting dirty, yeah. getting in the get, yard. Get your hand in the dirt. All right. I like I was, it. I was touching some grass yesterday. People were like <laughs> paying attention to all this like schedule stuff. I was just sitting down in the grass with the dogs having a great freaking day, Dwayne. So, yeah, I, I love that. We've, we got to be the only football podcast that just hasn't even mentioned the schedule release uh, over the past week. And I absolutely, absolutely love it that way. We don't way. need to, do we? <laughs> no, I wasn't planning been, on it. It's been covered from every angle. At some point, we will talk about it because it matters for best ball. But right now, like, I'm, I'm good with, yeah, we don't say a word. I'm fine talking about it, but just dragging it out, it's like, my freaking goodness. I'm, I'm, I'm mad on the signings of the rookies that are all slotted anyway. Uh, like, what would we I'm do without it, Dwayne? What would we do without Ian Rapport and Adam Schefter telling us that a rookie is going to be signed five minutes before the team account will tell us that the rookie has been signed? Like, this is the shit that pisses me off. With I, I wouldn't be able reporters. to play fantasy football, I don't think, oh if God. I didn't have that. Beat writers, too, man. During the season, it'll be like, this player's listed as questionable. What are the next 10 tweets? This player is questionable. Like, my God, can we all focus on, like, use that extra platform you have, the extra information to give us anything. 
something, <laughs> please. Not something that is going to get released no matter what, like in five minutes from the team account or from the player themselves. Like, I'm not saying investigative journalism is dead. This isn't even investigative journalism. This is an arbitrary, random step that a bunch of reporters oh, we, have we, added we, we, in between we, actions we. that we don't even need. We don't even need it, Dwayne. If these reporters cease to do this job, absolutely nothing would change. And I feel like we're living in a weird-ass world. The fact that we insist on having this extra reporter between a team announcing a decision. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, especially around something that, like, there's no edge to be gained. No, it's not nothing. Like sudden, it's yeah, happening. It's not, it's not like all of a sudden, yeah, like, oh, oh my God, I didn't know Chris Olave was going to sign. Now what do I do? <laughs> And then, yeah. and then when the team announces it, they have the audacity to then quote tweet that and say officially official. What have you Man. brought to the table that was not going to be like, oh, mm. hey, so, and they get thousands of likes and retweets for that dumb shit. So whatever. I try to stay positive as much as possible, everyone. I'm sorry for letting some of the yeah, negativity down, man. get it's to Friday. me there. What the hell? Man? Dragging Dwayne the listeners down, and for that, <laughs> I am sorry. So let's move on to some of the Dolphins' uh, wide receivers here. Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Preston Williams, and Eric Zumkama. Hopefully we – hopefully, you know – No Len Bowden Jr. for you? Oh, okay. Oh, man. I had to cut him from a dynasty squad yesterday. It still hurts, man. Still oh, hurts. Okay, sorry. Too soon. <laughs> Expecting – Tyreek, Waddle, and probably Cedric Wilson to be in three wide receiver sets. But this is where things get interesting, Dwayne. We know Ingold's going to be out there a little bit at fullback. Is Mike Desicki going to all of a sudden become an inline tight end? He has not been that throughout his career. Not saying he can't be. They are paying him, you know, the franchise tag now going to be over, going to be eight figures worth of reasons why Mike Desicki should try to find, you know, a different spot to line up on the field. But my God, man, Hill, Waddle, Cedric, Desicki, like, if Ingold's going to be out there, I think Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen, their traditional inline tight ends, are going to be out there. Like, assuming Jasicki continues to basically be a big slot receiver, one of Hill, Waddle, Wilson, Jasicki are going to be the odd man out. I think we can agree Hill and Waddle aren't going to be phased out of the offense. So just based on that alone, man, I don't know that we can get behind anyone other than Hill and Waddle in this offense. It's too crowded. Yeah, for Gasecki, I, I my prediction is this will be a career low, well, at least since his rookie year in routes, because I don't think he will play in 21 personnel. I don't think he'll be the – they have they have three other tight ends. They have Durham Smythe, they have Adam Shaheen, they have Hunter Long they drafted last year. Right. Um, and, and Smythe is actually good in the run-blocking game. Shaheen is pretty good in the run-blocking game. So I think you'll get something similar to like what we see in Green Bay, right, where you got Mercedes Lewis out there in 21, not Robert Tunyon, right? I mean, so – you can live through it, but that guy has Aaron Rodgers. You know, we don't have Aaron Rodgers throwing you the ball, and you've got this other competition, like you mentioned. And here's the thing with Gasecki: like, look, they've needed for him to be, um, you know, really a good tight end. I'm not saying he's bad, but he's really just an average tight end, right? And he's had this chance now for multiple years to step up. Targets per route run has never been able to really take a take that leap over the last two years. 14% and 15% targets per route run. The average for an NFL tight end, period without even saying, hey, you need to be a top three or a top seven or a top 12 tight end, is 18%. He's he's below the NFL average average for just any dude running a route that at least ran 200 routes, right? And so that's not good. Then if you look at the top tight ends, they're at 23% and 19%. So Gasecki is just well under those things. And that was whenever he had less target competition. So I think anybody telling themselves the story that, oh my God, because this offense, he's now going to be George Kittle, you're missing two major things. One, 
If he was that talented, he would have already been getting those targets like George Kittle was. And number two, he's not a good blocker. He's probably not. He's probably going to see like 60% of the routes. Last year, he was at 78%. I think he takes a 15 to 20% haircut. I don't think you're really going to want to mess mess with Mike Gusecki. I'm fine if you want to take him, you know, here and there. He's definitely not a player that I'm going to be heavily targeting. I agree with you. It's going to be all around Tyree Kill, all around Jalen Waddell. I expect those two players to be on the field, whether they're in 12 personnel, 11 personnel, 21 personnel, which they now have have the guys to do any one of those things. I think those two players are on the field all the time. And honestly, the more they run 21 personnel, the better it is for Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. Because when you have a fullback and then you have a blocking tight end on the field, who are you throwing the ball to? It's going to be Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. So it would be great for them if by some chance, like the Dolphins did come out and run like 21 personnel, like as much as the Niners did, like that would probably give each of them like an immediate 2% boost in target share just by the fact that it'll just be those two guys, you know, and they're, you know, if you're going to name two guys that are good enough to probably pull that off, it, it's those two. And that's where then like a guy like Chase Edmonds really could at that point, like if Chase Edmonds is playing in base personnel, that's whenever he could really be targeted because in that scenario, you could be like, well, Chase Edmonds, he's the third best player on the field, you know? And so that could actually lead to helping out for him as well. But I think early downs, you know, Chase will be splitting more. That's where you'll see some Mostert and Michelle mixing in whenever they're using that kind of, that kind of uh, personnel. So long, long, long way of saying, you know, something really quick, which you already said, which is like, he's pretty much a fade. I still like Tyreek Hill, still like Jalen Waddle. And I think there's going to be enough targets for both of them. I have Jasicki tight end 15. Right now he's going tight end 12. It's just a similar kind of sentiment as what we talked about with Dawson Knox. Like, it's not like we're ranking him outside the top 20. There is a path to success. If we're sitting here Sunday after week one and they find a way to get Jasicki out there for 80% of two of his dropbacks, like, we will quickly adjust and get back in there. But based on everything we just said, I just don't really see that route rate coming to fruition. I would much rather wait an extra round or two and get guys like Irv Smith, Robert Tunyon, Tyler Higby, who I just think are going to have larger roles. Roles and you know we need, a sound, like, we need an alarm we need an alarm for every time you say Irv Smith <laughs> like it just needs to go off <laughs> again, again, every, again. Episode, every episode every I'm just like. I'm just happy I actually usually like I'm talking I'm just talking about Mike Jasicki being a uh you know wide receiver like completely uncalled for in the middle this of another conversation so at least I uh got that chance this time but now let's talk about Waddle and Tyree Kill and Ooh, you got to draft both of them as a top 12 piece. I get it with Tyreek Hill. I mean, you look at him, wide receiver five in PPR points per game in 2017 with Alex Smith, wide receiver three, wide receiver 12, wide receiver two, most recently wide receiver six with Patrick Mahomes under center. You can look at, and I've talked about this in the past, you know, when free agents switch teams, it's really not good. But when a team trades a wide receiver, does not mean the end is there. You know, if you're able to get all this draft capital for someone, it's not the same thing as like admitting that you kind of missed on a player and willingly allowing them to go sign elsewhere. Brandon Marshall, when he got traded, the Jets, 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, the Bills, 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns. Hopkins, first year with the Cardinals, goes to 1,400 yards. Brandon Cooks, on three separate occasions, got traded in the offseason, proceeded to have over 1,000 yards with his new team in that first season. We did see guys like Odo Beckham, Julio Jones, Jarvis Landry, Sammy Watkins, not quite put forward that same sort of impact in their first year with a new employer. But, I mean, come on. Other than OBJ, I think where those guys were out there in careers, like we're not talking about the same caliber player as Tyreek Hill anyway. So anyone's idea of a top 10 receiver, I am comfortable continuing to trust the talent. Like, you know, we've talked about with Debo Samuel. When you're as good as Tyreek freaking Hill, I think we need to trust it. Are we positive Waddle is there yet, Dwayne? I've seen the PFF receiving grades. North of 75 
That's fantastic. I'm just not so sure. I'm trusting the Dolphins to be one of, again, about four or five teams that we should be expecting to enable two top 24 wide receivers. I mean, Waddle last year, one of just 15 wide receivers with an average target depth, under seven yards, 35th ranked wide receiver in yards per route run. I'm just not that, like, why are we taking Waddle over DJ Moore, Michael Pittman, and Terry McLaurin? Three other wide receivers I think we all can agree are pretty damn good that have far less target competition. Like, what does Waddle have that these other, again, very good wide receivers don't? Yeah, I don't know that they, he necessarily has that much, you know, more target competition than those other two guys. I think it's really just consolidated to two players, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, if look, he's going right now wide receiver 14. Like, he's already slipped out of the top 12, you know. So, I mean, people are already reacting to this. He's going round four, pick one. Um, it's just pretty rare to have a, a, a wide receiver do what he did as a rookie. So it's like, I'm definitely going to have at least exposure even to the market on both Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. I won't be as far over on Waddle as I, I mean, last year, obviously I was to the moon on Waddle and it was huge oh, yeah. for me. Um, and then, you know, earlier this off season, I was really planning on being like over on Waddle, not too much because at the time he was a second round pick and you kind of got to be careful up at the top of your draft, but you know, now he's slipping around the corner to round four. Like I'm definitely not, you know, letting him get by there. Um, I, I like his offense overall better than like what I like with the Panthers. They both have quarterback struggles, but I like the coordinator better. So, I mean, I think, you know, they're very similar situations. Like I'm not, I mean, look, I get it. He's got Tyreek Hill there, but Tyreek Hill's never been a 30% target share guy, right? He's a 22 to 25% guy. There's there's plenty of room. It's really about Jalen Waddle versus Cedric Wilson versus Mike Gusecki. You know, Hill's going to get his. Uh, Waddle just has to make sure that he can stay ahead of the rest of those guys. And I think that he will do that. It's just, look, and, and again, we'll talk about this more as we go. But like, when you get into that receiver tier and you start naming all those guys, like, I have questions about everyone we just named. That's, yeah, so well, that's I'm, what I'm I was going to say. So, Dwayne, but what about, like, Waddle versus James Conner? Because they're going, like, right next to each other. That's going to be one of the big ones we're going to have to ask. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've already talked about Connor being a guy that we want, you know, exposure to. So, I mean, that's probably two players that I'll mix up. But if I just had to place a bet on the a, a talent, on the, you know, a chip on talent, it's still Waddle, right? And we know that wide receivers get hurt less than running backs. So, I mean, there's different reasons that you might take Waddle based on the type of structure that you're building. Um, having said that, like, we're both very high on Connor. Like, we were higher, like, we were sky high on Connor, like, really before probably anybody. <laughs> like, I think we both had him in our top 10. I think people were looking at it's kind of crazy. And now everyone has him now. Of course, he avoided having someone drafted to the team, which so there was a reason some people were being a little bit less optimistic with Connor. Uh, we jumped on board pretty quickly. So, um, but like, if I only get to do one fantasy draft this season, which a lot of people do, like, I get it if someone wants to take James Connor you know, over Jalen Waddle at that spot. Like, I, I totally get it. I think there's an easy story that you can tell yourself. Like, if you're just purely looking at what we think is going to happen from a fantasy point standpoint, assuming both players are healthy, there's no way Jalen Waddle is going to score as many points as James Conner if James Conner's healthy all season. That's the key. Can he stay healthy? You know, we haven't seen that. The one thing I keep coming back to, I, I mentioned this stat before, but uh, – I looked this up last offseason, number of all NFL offenses to produce multiple top 24 PPR wide receivers in the same season. The average was 4.3. So, of course, I spent, you know, a half hour re-pulling all this information last night. What's the average after including 2021? Still 4.3. So I'm really happy I took the time to uh, go through that. that. 
all the time. I'm glad it's not just me. Right. It's been consistent, man. Like since 2012, there's six, then two, five, five, four, four, five, three, five, four. So it's not like we've necessarily seen a trend towards this happening far more often. And it's tough to really expect there to be more than six offenses to qualify this. So Dwayne, when you go through the ranks now, Obviously, Waddle and Tyreek, like they're both being priced as like top 14 guys. So they're more defined than the other ones. But some other offenses where I think we could maybe wrap our mind around that the Bills, the Chargers, the Bengals, the uh, maybe the Raiders, we'll see. Broncos, potentially Cowboys and Buccaneers, depending on the health of Gallup and Goblin, more so the Buccaneers there. Like you can quickly get through five or six teams that I think match that qualification. And it's like, we're talking about legit elite quarterbacks and then Tua and a run first offense. So that's my hesitancy yeah. with. I, I think with it, like a little differently. Uh, so like when I'm pulling that information, what I look for is I'm essentially looking for two receivers, whether it's tight end receiver, whatever, that are actually scoring like 250 points, right? Or more essentially is what I'm looking for. And when I look at this offense, um, like we've seen Kittle and Debo do it. We've seen Kittle and Ayuk do it at times. Now, again, there were injuries and things that may not have made that, you know, play out perfectly. But if you look at it on a point per game basis, like I think this offense can support, you know, two players. And this offense, this style of offense is also supported two um, targets even with bad quarterback play or average quarterback play, let's not say bad, but at least average quarterback play. So I feel pretty good about it. And I just think that the talents are both so good themselves um, that that helps take care of part of it. And, and, and I guess when we get to some of these things, it's just like, there's so many unknowns and we, tr- we dig into all this and we try to do so much projecting and, and we take it all very seriously. Like we spend a lot of our life doing it. So, I mean, I hope we take it seriously. Like I've been, my eyes are bleeding from staring at spreadsheets <laughs> like, since I got back. Um, and I'll continue to do that and work through all that, um, you know, through this weekend, we'll keep doing these. Um, but at the same time, like at some point, like I also have to say, okay, I know this player is really good. And just once the season starts, shit happens. You know, I mean, like what if Tyreek Hill goes down? Like, I mean, what if, you know, they just don't use 11 personnel hardly at all and Cedric Wilson's never on? I mean, there's all sorts of things that could play. Or Jalen Waddle's just such a badass that, like, he gets a 27% target share and Tyreek gets a 25 Like, there's so many paths, like, to Jalen Waddle being okay. And I just lean into the talent, you know, whenever I get to some of these tiers and some of these spots. But your concerns, I think, are are legit. But when I look at this offense, when I look at what it's historically been able to do with less than great quarterbacks, I think it can support two options because I don't think Gasicki is really going to be that in the picture. I just get nervous. It's the same thing, kind of same argument I've had with, you know, Deontay Johnson. Like, yeah, when they're getting that top target share and we can say targets are earned, things are fine. I don't love looking at the wide receivers that couldn't even average 10 yards per reception last year and seeing Jalen Waddle's name on that list. I mean, the sort of stats that we slander LaVisca Schnault for also kind of apply to Jalen Waddle. Dwayne, why did Visca average more yards after the catch per reception, more yards per reception? And their average target depth was only like one spot difference. Where were all the explosive plays? Where were all the big plays that Waddle was supposed to do? Maybe they're still there, but they weren't there. And that's, I guess, my concern. I don't, I'm not convinced that he's like this top 10, 15 wide receiver in the NFL after getting peppered in targets in an offense that really had nowhere else to go with the ball. So, I mean, his 4.4 yak is good. Like he's a 1.75 yards per route run. Like as a rookie, that's good. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, he may not be a top 10 receiver. I don't know, but I know that he's good. 
Yeah, he's <laughs> you good. know, I mean, to be able to do that, he's only going to be 23.8 years old going into the season. He did that, you know, as a rookie. So, I mean, typically when players do what he did as a rookie, it's not foolproof, but usually they're pretty damn good. Okay. Before, before Dwayne, I just kind of, before I especially just continue to repeat my point. If we want to go ways. probabilities, like you're going to lose. Like if we want to start like being like what percentage of players hit when they hit all these things, like it's, it's a really good hit rate. You know, so, but there, to your point, there are misses. Like it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Uh, you know, I mean, so there, could he be in like the 35% that end up being misses after they do this in their first season? Certainly like Jalen Waddle could be in that. So I like, I wouldn't be so arrogant as to presume like we always know. I'm just, I'm strictly just playing the probabilities on it. Did do a little study uh, more so for the Jets, but it applies here as well. Dolphins last year ranked as the number 22 offense in the league in terms of scoring. So it didn't quite make this threshold, but Dwayne, I wanted to get an idea of like how many times do bad teams, bad scoring offenses actually enable a fantasy relevant wide receiver, you know, for the Moonies, for the DJ Moores, for the Terry McLaurins of the world. So I looked at last five years, all the bottom 10 scoring offenses, their average top producing wide receiver was the wide receiver 32 same amount of teams had, you know, a top 24 wide receiver as those without one higher than 35th. So I just see myself probably going with James Conner over Waddle majority of time in that category. And like, I don't, are we losing that much by getting someone, you know, by getting a wide receiver too, like in the vein of Mike Williams or Chris Goblin with a little bit of health, uh, you know, assurance a couple rounds later? I guess that's my thing. I don't, I don't see Waddle as the person I wanted to reach on ahead of wide receiver. Cause you're right. There are a bunch of wide receivers with problems in that tier. Like it's hard to rank Waddle all that low, despite all the stuff I'm saying. I think you'd be hard pressed to name 20 guys more than him, but I think it's a long tier and I'm comfortable taking more shots at the end of it than reaching on the early guys. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's totally fair. And I think, again, that's why I said earlier, if you're drafting one team, like, and you're just wanting to know, Dwayne, Girl Scouts walk into the door, you have to pick which one of these players is scoring more fantasy points this season in PPR. It's James Conner. Like, it's not close. Now, when you factor in the injury potential and all those other things, like, that makes it a little more interesting. But at the same time, to your point, like, you could circle, you could take James Conner, beginning of the fourth round, um, into the third round, same place Waddle goes. You could circle back around, you know, at the end of the fourth, early fifth round. You know, we'll have to talk about what receivers are there. But you're right. Like, there's going to be – you could take a guy we're going to talk about, you know, in the next pod, which is Elijah Moore, right? And he's got a similar profile to what we have with Jalen Waddle. Wasn't quite as strong. You know, now some of that could have been due to injury. But, like, his underlying stats, like, on the games he played, were just as good as Waddle's, if not better in some ways. And he's available far later, but we'll save that conversation for the Jets pod. Anything else you want to talk about Dolphins? I think we pretty much covered it all. No, I just, I mean, in, I mean, with Tyreek Hill, he's at wide receiver eight, you know, at this point over on FFPC, you know, where's your head? Are you comfortable with Tyreek Hill as a top 12? Yeah, I have him wide receiver seven. Again, he just, if, if Tyreek Hill isn't an elite wide receiver, I don't know what the hell is. Like we've seen it. All <laughs> the stats tell us we've already seen him overcome. Like Alex Smith went an entire season without throwing a touchdown pass to a wide receiver. And he looks like an MVP with Tyreek, um, you know, doing his thing out wide. So maybe we're assuming a little too much with Tyreek, but man, you the give him that contract and everything. How are they not going to force feed him the ball? Yeah. The only flag I saw is really the yak has been coming down like consistently went from a six Oh to a four nine to a four Oh. So like, has he lost a little? Cause a lot of people, you know, I still think inaccurately think of Tyreek, you know, Hill is just like this deep, 
guy that catches these bombs from Mahomes, and he certainly does that. But a huge part of his game is really the run after the catch stuff, yeah. right? Getting the ball in his hands on these crossers and him hitting another gear and just running out every angle on the field, you know, where nobody has a chance. So I think that's something interesting. Now, he also has battled some injuries, like some soft tissue stuff here and there. So those sort of things can play in. I mean, he's going to be 28.6 when the season starts. So not, not, not that he's too old, but I mean, with a guy that's lived on like cheetah speed, you know, when does that start to take, you know, an impact? And and I'm with you. I have Hill still inside my uh, – he's in my tier two of wide receivers. So I still love him as well. Just wanted to get your thoughts. I'm, I don't know how much who I'm going to be getting, though, man, because I just – when you look at him kind of going around that pick number 20, Tyreek Hill versus Leonard Fournette, which one are you probably going to be taking? I kind of lean Lenny. Yeah, I'm probably leaning Hill on that one. Um, but, you know, I here's my thing. So – I'm going to, there's two, there's lots of different ways to build your teams this year, but I think there's enough because of what you mentioned, a lot of times when you have a tier that's really large, it's not necessarily a good thing. (laughs) It's because they all have so many questions. We don't want to make a stand on any of them, which would actually lead to an argument of it might be good to start receiver, receiver, right. And a draft and then come back to running back. I think you can do it either way. But I think there are enough questions around that middle tier of receivers this year that I definitely want to have exposure to several teams where I started receiver heavy. Because what if all those all those questions play out? We know that some of those guys are going to hit and some of them are going to miss. But trying to figure out which ones we think are really going to hit, like, is it's pretty tough. Um, and so I, I know we'll get better as we get closer, you know, to the season starting. But I think there's just a lot of questions in that. Basically, you know, I don't know, wide receiver, basically starting like wide receiver 12, you know, through like wide receiver 36. I was going to say a lot of different scenarios. I was going to say, you know, just quickly, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Diggs, Lamb, Adams, Hill, Keenan Allen, Debo, Mike Evans, T. Higgins, A.J. Brown. You could even, yeah, around that's kind of where I am. That's where it starts even. You can even say A.J. Exactly. Start the conversation. Yeah. Didn't want to be a dick to AJ, but if you could feasibly start the conversation uh, right there. So, yeah, Tyreek, I, I think he probably does deserve the benefit of doubt over Leonard Fournette there. So that two wide receiver start is fine. But, yeah, man, like there are holes in the other ones. But if you can't get – and I see what you're saying. If you want to go with those two of the early group, it'll be interesting to see how these ADPs uh, pan out. A lot, of, uh, a lot of good questions to be asked still, Dwayne, but I think that's going to wrap up this analysis in the Dolphins. Big picture thoughts, mostly out on Tua as our late-round quarterback. We are favoring Zach Wilson a little bit more at price. Not a guy you really need to worry about too much in traditional one-quarterback redraft leagues. We are big fans of Chase Edmonds, where he is going right now. It should be a zero RBers delight. You know, if people are still talking about that, put him on your freaking cover image. Wide receiver, I'm a little bit lower on Waddle than Dwayne, but we both agree it's pretty hard to keep him out of that upside wide receiver two conversation. And Tyree Kill remains cemented as anyone's idea of a top and where eight do you wide have receiver. Waddle right now, Ian. Sorry. Um, you have six, still six, wide receiver two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, his ADP is 14. So, I mean, you're pretty close to ADP. So, it's okay. it's almost like I don't know, Dwayne. I don't want to. I don't want to act like we're completely moving the ADP, but we've been talking about this for a couple months, and now I'm seeing all these guys that uh, you know, I thought I was like way more out on them. We talked about it in March, and now all of a sudden the ADP ADP's uh, you know creeping close to where I was all along. Funny how that uh works, uh, you might say. Uh, and then Mike Jasicki, someone that we're just not really going to be chasing where he's going right now. If he if he falls too, if Jasicki's all of a sudden going as a tight end, 15, 16, okay, we you know we saw the stretch. We can mix him in at that point, not tight end 12. Miss me with that. Dwayne, anything else you want to get off your chest? 
Nope. I think we hit it all. Great day to be great. Great job by you and great job by you listening out there. We always appreciate you guys. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks for those who tuned in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody. Bye.